Hello, this is Larry Russ, former keyboardist and vocalist for the classic rock band Iron Butterfly. I'm hanging out rocking with Seattle Wave Radio. Welcome to Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Thank you. 
Today is a really big day for me. There is an artist that I've been just personally behind and a fan for, for quite some time now. And it's been my goal to track him down because he's very busy and, and get him to stop by for a few minutes. And that's Blake Noble, and Blake is here with us today. Blake is a musician's musician. And I've talked about this on the show before. When you are unsure because there's so much music out there, what to follow, what to buy, what to play, Find what the other musicians are listening to and follow what they do. And they're listening to Blake Noble, and that's just there's just no doubt about that. In my opinion, Blake defines the term musician artist. He is, I mean, fantastic. We're going to talk a little bit about that. He's originally from Byron Bay on the east coast of Australia. He plays several instruments, but he focuses on the 12-string guitar, which he plays in a percussive way. He also plays the didgeridoo, so we've all heard about that, and he can play that simultaneously with the guitar. He's one of very few musicians in the world who plays um, the percussive tap lap guitar on the 12-string with the didgeridoo simultaneously. It is absolutely amazing. Please, 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 if you do nothing else I've ever asked you to do, go to BlakeNobleMusic.com and support this music. This needs to be in everybody's home. It needs to be on everybody's iPad, on everybody's iPod, on everybody's music player. So, and I'm going to play some of that for you today. But first, without further ado, let's bring Blake on and talk to him. So thanks, Blake, for coming on. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. So was it in 2012 that you actually came to Seattle from Australia? Yeah, it was. I made the big move over after a long series of battles with visas and things like that and finally got to come over, which was a big dream for me to be able to come and live and play music in the U.S. That's a, that's a huge jump forward for my career. Yeah, I'm very lucky to be here. Well, um, I, I've talked to a lot of musicians from the, from the U.K. They always talk about what a massive place the United States is to kind of cover musically on tour. But Australia is also a massive place as well, and I would think covering music in Australia would be quite a feat as well, getting around the country. Yeah, it's, um, the touring is quite different. It's a long distance between shows over there. And you know, Australia is about the same size as the U.S., but there's only about 20, 21 million, 22 million people in Australia, and there's you know, over 350 million people here. So it's a, it's a much larger scale over here, and, but they do have their similarities as well. What's the difference between the music scene in, in Seattle now versus what it was like in Australia? Uh, well, one of the main things for me coming over here was I immediately had access to some well-known musicians that, that live in Seattle and, and around Seattle. So, and, you know, being in Australia, I don't have as much access to that. So being able to tap into some of the people that have been in the music industry around the world, but, you know, mainly in the USA. It's it's just an incredible opportunity. I've been lucky to work with people like Lee Oscar and um, Roger Fisher from Heart, among lots of other touring bands that are, you know, that are doing really well and serve them and have those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's one great thing about Seattle is we do have really great people like Alan White and Roger Fisher and Lee Oscar, these really legends in, in the music business, and they're very active in, in helping up-and-coming musicians. They're, they're very active in, in the community as well. That's true, yeah. Yeah, they're very supportive and, and opening, and, and 
um, you don't always expect uh, people that have had careers like that to be so accepting of newcomers and and, but the you know the whole music scene has really welcomed me with open open arms and and that's really rare and it's uh it's really nice to kind of have that um be part of my experience here not that it's been easy by any means it's just that uh the other musicians in the area are very accepting yeah i i found that to be very true you have a new collaboration with uh, i guess we had on not long ago Cody Beebe, rest on the rails you debuted that the other night at the Crocodile, and I've, I've been reading on Facebook pages, a um, Seattle Wave Radio Facebook page posted about how much that they really liked it, and it, it seemed to really catch the imagination and the energy of, of the crowd. Yeah, it was a great couple of shows. We played the Croc on Friday night, and then we took the whole four-band bill to Yakima and played at the season's performance hall there, and, you know, and that's that's kind of in the area for... Uh, the Chinook Festival, which is in September, um, and we were—it was the lineup release party for that. So it was an incredible lineup, and and I was lucky enough to form this side project with Cody Beebe from Cody Beebe and the Crooks, and his bass player Eric, and Tim Snyder, who's an incredible violinist out of Portland, and and also Scott Mercado on drums. He's from a, a little band called Candlebox. So um, it's, a, it's a really cool mix of different styles, and that's what we wanted to do. There's so many bands out there, and a lot of bands have, you know, kind of a Seattle sound, I guess you could call it. And so we wanted to start a band that had a bit of that, but also a bit of my influence from the other side of the world, and people like Tim add another flavor, and people like Scott add a, add a bit of um, influence from back in the 90s, and so it's a a mix of all the kinds of music that we personally listen to. Well, well the Chinook Fest that you mentioned just a, a little early, and you, you guys were doing a lineup for that, a, a lineup release party on Friday night. The, the Chinook Fest has really, it's really growing into a huge music festival, and it's not a, a very old festival, but it's really getting a lot of major artists. I think you have Austin Jinks going to be there this year, um, along with uh, some other fantastic acts as well. Yeah, Pickwick's going to come and headline this year, which is huge for the organisers. And it's Cody, Beebe, and Michelle Bounds that organised the whole the whole thing with the Crooks, um, various members of Cody's band and and family and everything. And it's really grown from this community party of a few hundred people to this. It was sold out last year in its second year, and that's huge for a music festival these days because there's so many festivals going on. The only one of its kind in that area, it's out in the Yakima area, close to, to Natchez. But, um, yeah, it's just a beautiful spot and, and great community aspect and great people, great music. This year should be a, a, another sellout. I, I'm anticipating that it will sell out again. I completely think you're right about that. And people come from all over the country in Canada um, to, to come to that festival. Like you said, it's only a couple of years old, and it's really, really growing. So, I mean, I, I guess really one of the, the first music festivals that started was Coachella that, that really, mm-hmm. you know, kept, kept it going. And now you're seeing you know, we don't have to, you know, I, even though it's great to go to Coachella, I mean, there's there's more opportunities for people to hear great music if you can't get out to the middle of the desert of California. <laughs> we have something yeah, up here and, too. And the, yeah, and the good thing, you're right about that, and the good thing about some of these smaller festivals is that 
they tend to have more local Pacific Northwest original music and um, I love going to big music festivals just like it, um, most people but uh, sometimes it gets it can get a bit lost in, in you know having so many bands from all around the world and you kind of get inundated so it's also nice to go to a small festival where the crowd and, and the musicians are all mingling like it's no big deal and you know we're all hanging out listening to all the other bands and sometimes you play at a music festival you go and do your spot on the stage and then you leave but this is not that kind of festival. Most of the bands come out and they stay the whole three days just because they want to be there as well. Yeah, it has a very good reputation amongst the musician community and everyone wants to be a part of it. And I remember when the first one started, it, it was really big on social media. Everybody was um, tweeting out their pictures and putting them up on Facebook. And I mean, it, yeah. it was just like something nobody had ever seen before. <laughs> That's right. That's right, yeah. They really deserve all the recognition that they're getting. Definitely. Well, when did you first pick up your first musical instrument? How old were you? Well, my mom's a, a piano teacher back in Australia, so I played piano since uh, ever since I could move my fingers properly, I suppose. Always kind of banging on the piano. And I'm one of nine children, so there are always we all kind of played instruments growing up so I had access to a lot of different instruments so piano was the main one growing up and then I picked up a saxophone for a while and a violin for a while and then eventually I, I kind of got a bit older and, and started listening to more rock music and, and jazz and funk and stuff like that and uh, I wanted to play drums I remember being in in school maybe about 11 12 years old and my friends were giving me a hard time about being a violinist and so I wanted to kind of be in the cool crowd so I, I went and started learning how to play drums and then that opened the door to, to being in a, a range of bands growing up, garage bands and that eventually moved on to guitar. Well with nine children in your family you guys could have really had your your, your own group almost. Yeah absolutely we <laughs> yeah and, and everyone kind of played something a little bit different so it, it was uh, it was really cool around Christmas and when we could all kind of join in with the Christmas carols and having a big family and having experiences like that to look back on. That's it's really nice to, to have had that. Is most of your family still in Australia? Yeah, I have a brother that lives over here in the U.S. Um, he lives in Florida. Um, and he's been here for maybe about 10 years or 12 years or something like that. And he's got a couple of kids here and everything. So, yeah, I, I guess I kind of followed in his footsteps in a way. And, and I didn't expect that this would happen. I was just very fortunate that I would make it over here. But, yeah, the rest of my family all live in Australia. Well, Florida is about as far from Seattle in the States as you could possibly get. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's really one, one corner to the other. Yeah, and it's one of those – he's lucky because the transition from – the Australian climate to Florida, it's not so much of a change, but, you know, I grew up on the beach, and, and our summer lasts a lot longer than it does here. <laughs> and we don't have to know where I come from. I've never been skiing or snowboarding or anything in my life. So the, the change for me, climate-wise, coming to the Pacific Northwest, I'm, it, I'm still getting used to it after two years. <laughs> 
<laughs> I I can definitely relate to that because I was born and raised in San Diego and I'm not a snow person at all either. And some people who really like the snow, I prefer snow in pictures, but I, I, and I can appreciate the beauty from the snow, you have the snow out a window, but I'm one of those people you don't want driving in it and, uh, and I, I don't ski. It's way too much effort to go skiing. It's just, I've never worked so hard in my life as trying to go skiing one time. So, um, I prefer summer activities. (laughs) Yeah, I worry about the driving. You know, I'm always on tour and driving all over the place, and and through the winter season, it's really been months just kind of white-knuckling it between all around Washington and and Oregon and and, um, elsewhere. It doesn't always feel the safest. It's really nice to tour at home and kind of stop at the beach and have a swim before you get to the venue and then you turn up with no shoes on and sand on your feet you just kind of start playing and it's really casual and here I'm kind of struggling just to just to drive to the venue without sliding across the highway <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the, the the most difficult part of the whole gig is, is getting there when the weather's bad that's true that's you know me and a few other people always say we don't get paid to play music we get tour and drive drive all that distance and then set up all the gear and pack up all the gear and all the rehearsal and background stuff that we do. The gig's free, but the rest of it is what we're, that's where all the work comes in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you are a, a very accomplished player in the Australian didgeridoo. And do you want to kind of tell us how, how you got started doing that, and, and I'm sure that, that, that more people than, than I are very interested in this when you do play it, because I, I think Americans, and it, and it may be like that around the world, but just have a fascination with, with watching uh, didgeridoo play. Yeah, well, I, I picked it up when I was about 13 years old and back home, and, and there was an Aboriginal guy that was busking, just playing on the street, and just by himself playing didgeridoo. And I was pretty young, so I didn't have much money, but whatever was in my pocket, it was like 10 or 20 bucks or something, and I just put that in his hat and said, that's yours if you can teach me how to do whatever that is that you're doing. And then, so I was really lucky that he allowed me to sit there with him and he taught me how to do, you got to do this thing called circular breathing, which is you breathe out through your mouth and in through your nose at the same time. Um, and that's how you produce this drone that um, most people, even if they don't know the word didgeridoo, they, they know the sound of it. They, maybe they've heard it in a movie or a commercial or something. I'm trying to do is is to bring more knowledge to people that might not have the chance to see or hear a didgeridoo live. I want to bring that knowledge to people so they know what it is and where it comes from. And that opens up conversations um, to talk about the Aboriginal people in my my home country. Um, And that's really important to me.
Well, you need to get on the Ellen DeGeneres show because Ellen's been looking for somebody <laughs> to come on and play the didgeridoo. <laughs> and yeah. you need to be that guy, Blake. <laughs> they've, uh, the, there's been a bunch of people that have put me forward for that. And, yeah, so if you have listeners out there that agree with you, then they should inundate Ellen's email and Facebook page and whatever else and let her know. Because um, it's not just about, like, you know, I'm, I'm a musician, so I'm, I'm looking to be out there playing shows and getting bigger and better shows as I progress through my career. But it really is a, a huge part of what I do to be able to share that knowledge. And I actually, um, right before I moved over to the U.S., I received permission from from the Aborigines in, in Byron Bay. They call the Bunjalung Nation. Um, and I have a song called Bunjalung that's written for them. So they gave me permission to both perform didgeridoo and to teach what I've learned uh, so far uh, from them and also just with self-study and everything. So, yeah, that's that's huge. And some of the things I do over here, uh, like uh, workshops at high schools, and and uh, that's been really interesting to um, perform for some of these young kids that have no idea that we have Aboriginal people in Australia, let alone something cool like a didgeridoo. Well, you're really the right person to convey that message because especially for young teens, you know, you're, you're not very old and you're kind of like this cool rock star. And I think you're very relatable <laughs> and they would really embrace that music more from someone like you than they probably would, you know, someone like me who's probably just a couple of years older than you. But you're right in that sweet spot for them of, of people that they kind of look up to and, and hear because anyone who has a kid of a certain age... I, it seems like they lose their parental hearing ability, I don't know, between 11 and 12, you know, on, on some kids it's a little later, 12, and then it doesn't come back until well, until they have children. But mm-hmm. but some people, their hearing is receptive, and, and it comes in a, a frequency of someone like you. So you are the perfect person to be able to go in the schools and, and you know, educate them on, on such a thing, which is wonderful and probably does more for their learning lesson that day than, than they probably retained all week. I, I hope so, yeah. And and I was, back in the day, I was like a teacher's assistant as well. So I, not only from a large family where I was constantly babysitting my whole life, but then I have a teaching background, so... It's a really nice thing to do on tour to give people more access and more knowledge for what I do and also just to kind of keep you grounded and keep you real and, and make you remember why you're doing what you do. And When you're playing a lot of shows and especially when you're playing a lot of big festivals and stuff, it's easy to kind of get carried away. So it's nice to just be around the community and be around young people especially and just they keep you in check, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. What are you doing, Blake, when, when you're not playing music? Uh, practicing music <laughs> or listening <laughs> to music. So I've been a full-time user for the last five years, and I'm really lucky that I'm able to do that full-time. I haven't had to focus on music just on the weekends like a lot of musos do. So, yeah, I'm constantly developing this kind of percussive guitar style that I have and constantly looking for new ideas and and listening to what other people have to offer because I really want to keep what I do unique but um, accessible as well. So I don't want to get too carried away with it. Sometimes with didgeridoo-based music, it, it, it can get kind of carried away 
in just one direction and I want to make it more accessible than that so I try and keep up with who's touring now in this area and, and try and watch local bands and get on YouTube pretty regularly and, and surf around there. I travel a lot, which is which is great. I, I get paid to see the country, and that's just a added bonus. Mm-hmm. When you write something and you're, and you're coming up with all these sounds, when do you know that that it's the right time to then share it publicly? Uh, normally, when it gets stuck in my head. If I, I, I mean, I've I've got a like a lot of musicians. I've got a constant stream of music in my mind. That's not only songs that are on the radio or something, but also my own songs that I constantly play over in my head to see if it's if it fits. It's just an automatic thing that happens. And it's kind of strange, but uh yeah, I, I play it over and over and over again in my head when I have a new riff or a new idea for a song, a new chorus. And then I'm I'm lucky in that I can I can hear it and kind of picture it in my mind and I I already know before I pick up the, the guitar to complete a song, I already know if it's going to work or not, or if it's just a riff that I'll use later on. So, I don't know, it's kind of difficult to explain, but if I wake up, if I write something one day and wake up the next day and that's my only thing that's playing over in my head, then I, I normally keep progressing with that. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense if if you're wired that way. I'm not wired that way, but I I, I can certainly uh-huh. appreciate th- those people who are. <laughs> but when you're when you're on stage, well. oh, well, I, I I would imagine I would imagine, but um, yeah. I, I, I I think of like shopping like that. So I get it. It's just not music that's running <laughs> yeah. through my head. It fails. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about when you're on stage and, and you're in? In that music, are, are, are you are, are you really just thinking about the music when you're on stage? Yeah, I I am, but there's other things coming to my mind because I'm I'm an independent musician, so I don't have you know managers and agents and people like that worrying about the business end of what I'm doing. I've got a couple of people that help me out here and there, but mostly it's it's all me. So I do. I think about the venue and I think about the amount of people who are there and and if they're having a good time and, you know, it has to be a mutual agreement between everyone, between the performer, the venue and the crowd. And if if everyone is happy, then I'm happy. So I want to put on a good show, but I also want the venue to do good business so that they can stay in business and I can come back and play again and keep doing what I do. Um... So, yeah, I try not to let that worry me too much, and often you see me closing my eyes on stage, and that's me saying to myself, okay, just be in the moment and, and realize where you are and what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. yeah, trying to express, because I'm, I'm an instrumentalist, so my instruments have to speak for me. Um, so I try and express what the song's about and what I'm feeling at that moment through 
through just the instruments, and that's that's a bit different than than singing about how you feel. I always say that I want people to make up their own mind about about what my songs mean. Well, they're very deep, and there's a lot of layers to your music, and um, we're going to be playing some of that here. Uh, I'm going to play, in just a minute, Perpetual Leader off of the Underdog album. I, I wanted to, uh, before I let you go, if, if you could tell us a little bit about this Underdog album. And, again, people can go to blakenoblemusic.com. We have links that are going to link to all of this, and we'll be... Um, putting it out there a lot because I personally love this album. I was telling Blake um, when we were off air that some music has a, a, a time and a place. It, it, it fits really perfect, you know, at this event or at this gathering or if you're in the car or you're at home or you're with friends or whatever. But this album, the music adapts no matter what situation you're in. If you're having a dinner party, you're having... A, 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 just a, a party, you're in the car, you're alone, whatever. This music, is, it, it just fits. It just fits for, for your soul, no matter what time of the day, night, whatever's going on in your life. It's, it's a, a, mar- a, a remarkable album, and really, it, it really needs to be heard by, by everybody. So I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about this album. Uh, thank you. It's uh, a very kind word. You know, it's um, those songs on the album, they're all... You know, it's really raw and honest and and real. And I wanted to collaborate on this album. It's my second album recorded here in here in Seattle with um, actually with Cody Beebe and Eric Miller, who are now in this side project, Lost on the Rails, to combine a few different influences, like I was saying earlier. And the reason that it's called Underdog is because that's kind of how I feel in the music industry. Um, you know. I shouldn't really be able to just kind of move across the world and just start a career in in the U.S. where where it all happens in terms of the music industry, but it just kind of happens. So I've always felt like the underdog that's that's trying to make his way, but kind of doing it alone. Yeah, and it, so it, obviously each individual song has its individual meaning. But um, you mentioned perpetual leader, and that's that's one of the main songs from the album. We did a video for that uh, around the Yakima Valley. Uh, we did the filming. and um, So you can go on YouTube on my channel, Blake Noble Music, and you can look up the video for Perpetual Leader. And I think it's close to 10,000 views on there so far, which is pretty good for someone at, at my level. Um, and uh, I also just uh, had news a couple of weeks ago that that song was a semi-finalist in the international songwriting competition in the instrumental section. So that's huge for me to... I don't normally go for competitions and awards and stuff, but uh, that's actually something that that is quite meaningful. Yeah, so the album's pretty special to me. I've been I've been touring all over the Pacific Northwest and and just over to Colorado and and back recently and. In May, I'll be taking it over to Europe, uh, mainly in France, and touring it over there and seeing how seeing how they take the album over there. It's, it's, it just strikes me that you would think of yourself as an underdog because I see you just as really, in my eyes, you're just like this megastar, you know, and it was just an honor <laughs> for me to have you on. And so you're just so down to earth and just so 
normal, but you're so gifted, and it's really a dichotomy because um, it's, it's like you really should be sitting atop a mountain, I feel, and just playing your music, and then we should just be all listening because it's just that, that, that good. And I am, I am so just thrilled that we can you know, talk to you today and, and get to know you more and introduce more people to your music because you really are an artist. And a lot of times that word just gets thrown around you know, just here and there, but but Blake, you you really are just an artist, and it's it's uh, thrilling to to have you right here in Seattle for one thing, and have access to be able uh-huh. to to hear this music. Um, and if if you can't get to Seattle and you can't hear Blake play, you can certainly buy his music and and support this art. BlakeNobleMusic.com is where you can find out more information. Thanks, Blake, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we're going to listen to Perpetual Leader, and then I'll be right back.
Hi, friends. We have a brand new sponsor, Audible.com. You can go to audible.com slash Northwest Prime and sign up for a free download and choose from thousands and thousands of best-selling and new release books. You can also exchange a book anytime, no questions asked. We all lead busy lives, but we can download this free audible.com app to our Android, our iPhone, iPad, Windows, Kindle, Fire, you name it. It's easy to take with you on the go, whether you're working out, in the car, cooking at home, on the way to visit a friend, however you want, you can stay up to date with the greatest books in the world through this wonderful library. I recently chose Crusher by Niall Leonard. This mystery crime drama was filled with action. It was like I was watching a movie. The narrator spoke in an English accent, and I just felt like I was right there in London town. If you choose to stay with Audible, it's only $14.95 a month, and you can cancel at any time. At least check it out. It's free. See if it's for you. Tell them Northwest Prime sent you. That's audible.com slash Northwest Prime and get to reading when it works for you. Didn't you just love Blake Noble? I love Blake Noble. I'm just a huge fan, and we we really need to get behind and support him. So please go to BlakeNobleMusic.com. Please tweet to Ellen. I mean, Blake really needs to be on her show. I mean, this is right up her alley. He is, like I said, he is an artist, and this is the type of music we need to get behind and support. There's a lot of great music out there. This is one of them that's right at the top. So Underdog is the name of his new CD. And you can again find that um, on all kinds of you know streams, iTunes, and different things. But you can go to BlakeNobleMusic.com and find out more information. And we're going to play as we go out here, "Tsunami" off of the Underdog album. So thank you to Blake for coming on, and thank you for all of you uh, for listening today. Thank you.
Well, that's our show. We would like to thank our listeners, our guests, and of course our sponsor, Audible.com. We've included an easy one-click link to Audible.com where you can just go and browse and check out and see if catching up on your reading is right for you through an audiobook. The first book is free. It doesn't cost anything to check it out. So check it out. Get back with us. Let us know what you think. And be sure to also check out NorthwestPrime.com for this interview and other great interviews that we've had with numerous celebrities and other entertainers in the past. Thanks and have a great day. This is Matthew Meadows, better known to some of you as Rango the Dog. You're surfing the seas of mojo with Seattle Wave Radio. Catch the wind.